Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Regular, a Words and Nerds spin-off podcast with your host, Nathan J. Phillips. Uh, I am a writer of speculative fiction, sometimes an editor, and always a fan of any book with a good story. Also coming to you today from Nungamal Country, which is the home of the original storytellers of this region, and I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging of the Nungamal people. Today, I get the pleasure of interviewing Hazel Edwards OAM and Sarah Pakola. Hazel Edwards is, of course, best known for the classic book, or the classic series, I should say, There's a Hippopotamus on Our Roof Eating Cake. Hazel also writes about coping successfully with being different for adults too, fiction and non-fiction. She's an ideas risk taker and has researched in Antarctica, collaborated with writers from different cultures and many of her 200 plus books, including Kajabi Girl, have been adapted for performance and new media. She's also done the adult mystery series Celebrant Sleuth, I Do or Die, and the sequel Wed Then Dead on the Gan, which is being adapted for screen. Her memoir explores the realities of juggling family and a long-term career as a professional authorpreneur, and she also explores collaborating with co-writers, illustrators, and performers. Today, we discuss not just a piece of cake, being an author, which can be found at hazeledwards.com or at voicesoftoday.org. Which brings us to our next guest, Sarah Bacola. Sarah is an audiobook producer and narrator from Melbourne, working with the company Voices of Today, which produces public domain audiobooks, as well as working with contemporary authors. This year, Sarah has produced audiobooks by Australian authors, including Hazel Edwards, Suzanne Gervais, Kate Constable, and Rashida Murphy. She's also the author of The Fault Lines, Founding Liberty, and has 40 audible titles to her name. She also participates in solo, duet, and full cast production audiobooks, and thoroughly enjoyed producing Not Just a Piece of Cake, Being an Author by Hazel Edwards. Sarah can be found at www.sarahbacalla.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-B-A-C-A-L-L-E-R and at www.voicesoftoday.org. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Hazel and Sarah. Thank you. Now, uh, before we get uh, too far into all of this, Hazel, obviously, you know, very well known for there's a hippopotamus on our roof eating cake and all the, the you know, the, the books that came from that. But this is a little bit of a different one for yourself, a bit more auto- autobiographical. Before we do go, did you want to just give us a quick, I suppose, elevator pitch of, because this is quite a different, it's not just your average autobiography, is it? No, it's a little different, Nathan. I think it's the book I intended never to write. Uh, I always claimed that um, authors tended to use parts of their life, predominantly in their fiction, um, and that... uh, memoirs were exercises in chronological boredom for the reader and I didn't want to inflict that on anybody. I also had taken courses on um, writing a non-boring family history because of uh, the reason I just mentioned. But what happened was um, I I actually had quite a, a, a serious health issue and I suddenly realised my poor daughter was going to have to work out 
and declutter my entire literary life and that maybe I should tidy things up a bit. But it wasn't that so much as the fact that, as you just mentioned earlier, most people know me as the hippopotamus lady, which is really a mixed blessing when you're my height and size. And um, they don't know that I write all sorts of other things, um, uh, crime, mysteries, uh, nonfiction and so on, and that I'm very interested in... in um, I really enjoy um, sharing workshops on writing, and most people didn't realise, but also um, that I've always seen being an author as a profession, a long-term career, um, which was the most fascinating combination of doing all sorts of things that you could then write about afterwards and taking physical risks, but taking intellectual risks as well. Now, that sounds like a, an enormous justification, but I had written along the way quite a number of individual articles and I, I thought, I can't remember any of the other things I did in between. I was forgetting. And my point was that sometimes you really need to write immediately because you miss the details. So that was part of the reason. But my challenge in this book was that if I had a hippo on the cover, people would think it was a book about being a children's author. And it's more than that. It's, it's more aimed at uh, those who are interested in creativity and the strategies for being creative long-term long in the writing world um, and surviving and still having a family that talk to you afterwards Always and bonus, still yeah. having friends that talk to you afterwards and who don't say, am I in your next book? So what I wanted to look at was to provide realistically most of the um, sort of how-to-write books, and it's not a how-to-write book at all, um, most of those uh, are fairly um, glamorous. And what I wanted to do was to show what real life was like juggling um, all the other issues. I mean, I have an extended family and um, how do you manage long-term being an author? And that was partly what it was about and the importance of the imagination. Yeah, and that was really fascinating for, for me to listen to, um, partly because I don't have a long history of listening to audiobooks. So it was really interesting to, to enter a new medium in that sense. Um, mm. But also going through, like you said, uh, in the um, in the book, it's not just a shipping list of historical events that happened. Mm. It's, you know, it's going out to remote communities and how they reacted to the book. It's, you know, talking about um, working with illustrators. And you mentioned as, as part of uh, that, mm. the whole idea that, the illustrations are sometimes the better communication as opposed to words in various ways and the different oh, types of signage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also the privilege of being able to collaborate with other creatives in different fields. And, I mean, that's what we're going to be talking about in a yeah. moment. Uh, the wonderful opportunities to meet people who have skills that are unlike yours, but when coupled together, you produce something that didn't exist before. That probably gives a good opportunity before I go, because I really do want to ask about um, those experiences of working with different people. Sorry. But yeah, I was going to ask, uh, Sarah, you've you've come into this on the audio side. You've gotten an autobiography that's uh, from you know, one of Australia's best-loved uh, children's authors mm. of that. And when I was listening to it, it was... Like I said, it's a bit of a new medium for me to be listening because I'm, you know, 10 years behind everyone else apparently. Um, but I wanted to see what that experience is like. What, what do you look at when you're going into an audio book and you're saying this is a book that's been out 
this is a book that you know mm. is, is about a you know uh, apologies for embarrassing you here, but a, you know a very important and beloved subject. Mm. How do you go about making that into I suppose something new, or do you just embrace what's already there, or how, how does that work for yourself? Yeah, well, I guess like any creative journey, um, you sort of don't know where you're going to end up at the end. You just you got to you know you you start it and it and it starts to take shape and um and you work with it in that way. Um, with you know uh, when an author wants to have an audiobook produced for them, um, I go about soliciting auditions from the narrators that I have on my list. Um, and I think we we got a, a small handful of um. We don't have a huge pool of narrators. There's actually not a lot. Well, I mean, compared to somewhere like the US or the UK, um, yeah. Australia sort of lags behind uh, a little bit in terms of the development of the audiobook industry. Um, but yeah, we got a, a narrator that Hazel liked. So she liked Erin um, Marie White, uh, and her work. And she, Erin's in, um, in Perth. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, doing things electronically works quite well when it comes to producing audiobooks um yeah but I mean that's the first thing you know finding a, a narrator that the author likes and um and then I I don't know how the sort of bigger audiobook production companies go about it but I like to introduce the author and the narrator so that they can engage directly and you know the narrator can chat with the author if there are you know family names or unfamiliar words or concepts um they can check oh. in and, and explore how the author wants those portrayed because it is a risk for the author you know putting their particularly a memoir you know putting that Mm. into the the hands of someone else and having someone else's voice tell your own story Mm. um so there's definitely a a risk and trust that's involved in that uh so it was a great privilege to be able to be be part of that and I do apologize I didn't mention earlier um the the author sorry the obviously the author did a great job but the uh, the narrator did a great job Erin uh, Marie White but as you mentioned comes from Perth and it mm. it caught me a little off guard because the few audiobooks that I have listened to before have always had that American accent and I sort mm. of remember, I turned it on I thought oh is this going to be a little bit weird listening to a known Australian voice but no um yeah absolutely she absolutely nailed it and it was uh, it was fantastic but you are right as well there's also a lot of a lot of words in there as one of my favorites. I was trying to remember it earlier and it wasn't quite coming to me, but uh, anecdotary um, oh, Hazel's words that uh, yes, even that's... it's fantastic. <laughs> Not to be mispronounced. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but um, yeah, as you mentioned before, Hazel, you've worked with a lot of people who have different experiences to yourself, whether that's, you know, different experiences within the authoring world or different experiences just in the world in general and talking about books like um, uh, F2M as well as, you know, mm. books like Antarctica, all these very different lived experiences. Mm. Um, how do you find, I guess, melding the best of, of each together and how do you find that uh, works for you as a creative? Um, I, I guess in a sense without taking over and saying, I'm the creative, I'm going to do this stuff, but bringing in no. those experiences uh, authentically. Well, quite frankly, it's a bit like a marriage, I think. (laughs) Um, There are um, certain, uh, most relationships work out, but I I start from the premise that I want someone who who is really good at what they do and then I let them get on with it because they're the professionals in their own area. So most of my collaborations and increasingly um, I've had more 
co-writers in latter years who were considerably younger than me but had expertise in an area mm. that I didn't know about or a culture I didn't know about. You mentioned the F2M or Ryan um, <clears throat> Kennedy uh, is a trans guy and even the language for describing a trans guy has changed in the time since we wrote the book and he's now collaborating on a comic graphic novel about that because of our original collaboration. Now, I would always defer to my expert co-writer mm -hmm. or the person, uh, and I feel the same way about editors. Um, uh, I would defer to an editor who gave me a reason for wanting to change something and I'd go along with it. Um, the reason I was very interested in collaborating with Sarah was I thought she was very professional and very businesslike in her organising and the offering. Uh, I have recorded books of my own before, but they have been predominantly the picture storybooks, which are considerably shorter than <laughs> this one. Um, and I have recorded a couple of years ago a much longer one, which was the adult uh, mystery of Celebrant Sleuth. Mm -hmm. Now, in wordage, it's comparable to not just a piece of cake being an author. Now, I found that incredibly difficult to do. I don't have an actor's voice, as you can probably hear. I sound a bit like a little girl. Um, and so it depends which of my stories I'm reading. Now, in the case of um, Celebrant Sleuth, mm -hmm. I needed a character who uh, could be asexual, who was not American was Australian, so I was very yeah. interested you picked up that American aspect. I wanted um, the narrator of not just a piece of cake to be somewhat like my voice, mm. but to be able to have the range. And one of the challenges of this particular book is that it's got so many different things in it that some of it is probably what you'd call journalism in the sense of, of describing it, and other bits are very sensitive fan mail <laughs> or, yeah. you know, there's a, a very big range. And that was my technical challenge, but it was a challenge for the voice as well. The second reason was in terms of time and efficiency that um, when I had previously done the uh, in a proper studio and everything else, um, uh, Celebrant Sleuth, I would have to keep doing several takes because I'd muck things up because yeah. I just wasn't that good uh, over a period of time and it had to be right. Now, that was fiction. And it was a fragmented fiction in the sense that they were done in episodes, which is a similar problem to this in that there are very different types of chapters within this book. And so it was very important um, uh, to, to have those uh, easy, easily understood and distinguished and so on. So I needed a professional who could do it far more quickly than I could. And that was the one of the things when Sarah gave me an estimate of how long it might take, I was so relieved <laughs> because I was thinking, oh, another six months, yeah. and it wasn't. Um, so that sort of thing was important uh, to me. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it is a challenge. Um, and to have a fairly neutral voice too, uh, one that is not particularly associated with an area is important because we see this as an international book. Yeah, and um, as you quite rightly said, many of the narrators are American on Audible and on other sites, and we wanted it to be an Australian one.
That's, that is absolutely fascinating. Um, but on, on that as well, that relationship between you've got the audio book, uh, the audience, so the narrator, you've got the author, you've got the uh, the producer, Sarah, how do you manage all of those sort of dynamics? I mean, it, it sounded like it was a really good experience in this case. Um, I was going to say, is that something that, you know, um, the words have escaped my head? Anyone would think I've never done a podcast Is it something before? that can get complicated? He's very good, yes. Nathan, <laughs> that's why I'm working with yeah. him. <laughs> but, you know, is, is there, you know, are there times it gets complicated and what what do you, where do, where do you come in to try and sort of make everything as um, professional as possible as, you know? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, a lot of the the audiobooks that I have produced and, and narrated so far have been public domain audiobooks. So um, you don't have to worry about rights holders in um, in those scenarios. Thanks, and got, yeah. yeah, and you've got complete, you know, artistic freedom, I guess. Um, but this year working, I've worked with Hazel this year, but also a handful of other contemporary Australian authors. Uh, and actually it's been a real delight. Everyone's been very understanding and easy to get along with um, and really, I guess, appreciative of the opportunity to have their work um, released in audio form, particularly mm. when it's for a work that was published, you know, perhaps a few years ago. Um, it sort of gives a story a new lease on life. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in, yeah, I'm, I'm piggy in the middle, I guess, in some ways, <laughs> but um, um it's not been hard at all. And, you know, I'm conscious that there are risks involved, you know, if, if you, you know, you get personalities that are difficult to work with. Hazel could tell us all about that. She's written about it. Yep. Um, <laughs> so she, she should be the one giving us advice on that. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's just gently making connections and trying to sort of massage the process into one that's smooth and, and enjoyable um, for everyone involved, I guess. Oh, excellent. Um, and it did sound like it was um, reasonably fun to, to go through. Certainly, uh, it was fun to listen to. Uh, I, I yeah. love getting thrown from, you know, one second I'd be listening to something about a the hiking through the Himalayas and next thing you'd, they'd be talking about, um, you know, schools going through. And this could have been because I accidentally had it on random at one point. Um, but then going talking about schools and associating them with the, the different colour blazers and all that sort of thing. I don't go too far into it because I don't want to give away too many spoilers. But um, I guess, you know, are, are they still spoilers when it's a memoir is... I'm not sure. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed because um, I did the the um, proof listening and the editing for this one. Um, and Erin was great to work mm. with. Very efficient, very reliable. Um, and yeah, I mean, I looked forward to getting to my that time of day each day and getting to hear more of Hazel's story. And often found myself laughing out loud. And um, you know, as an aspiring writer and young mum um, myself, you know, juggling lots of things that Hazel talks about in her book, yeah. I just found it really, yeah, really life-giving and, and um, enjoyable to listen to. Because I yeah. think both okay. writers and aspiring writers are usually time poor and that's why, uh, and I think it's certainly in the recent lockdown has become very apparent that uh, many people are doubling up and multitasking. So they're either listening while they're exercising or they're listening while they're doing routine tasks, whereas before they probably would have stuck with the print or the e-book, whereas, I mean, I'm often asked which format I prefer and I say, well, look, I prefer 
prefer to have all of them, frankly, yeah. <laughs> because um, it just depends. Best of all worlds. What yeah. the particular person needs. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm an aqua readaholic. I read in the bath. Well, I read the print books in the bath, but I don't tell that say that to the librarians. Um, <laughs> but I don't read the electronic ones. Um, whereas um, in the car, I would listen to audio, or you know, doing other things, I'd, I'd listen to audio or ebooks. So it's not just one thing, and it's the same with um, uh, one of the things I found most interesting of Sarah's skills was when she and Erin checked uh, the wording or the pronunciation of some things. And one of them was my name. My maiden name is Mira Moya. And that, that defeated poor Erin. She was wonderful. But she wrote it phonetically for me. And um, I thought, now, this is, this is most interesting because um, from the point of view of an author who's been translated into languages like Finnish and Tamil and so on, I'm often at the end of uh, a translation. I haven't got a clue what anybody's translated it into, but here she is phonetically spelling out for me um, what was my original name, which I tend to use for my Twitter and um, things like that. Um, so I, I really appreciated the attention to detail. And I also think that um, it's not just the that Erin did a better job than I would have done. Um, it was a time factor as well. But I think um, there's a continuity and she's got the range of voice to uh, link uh, what are fairly disparate chapters. And, and that's deliberately so because what I was trying to convey was that to live as a creative in Australia, you have to have a portfolio of skills yeah. and you really need, you said, you know, about the jumping from the schools and so on. Um, Children's authors are, are often mistakenly thought to have the IQ of the age of their readers, and that's not so. But they're also one of the few groups who can make a living because they also have schools, they also have festivals. Well, not during COVID, but they have them online. Um, they need to have a very wide range of skills. And um, so... I was trying to convey that, and particularly if you write long-term, you cannot write only about one subject or in one format. And so you need, um, I mean, it's a pleasure to learn to work with puppeteers or to learn yeah. to work with actors or musicians or whatever. And, in fact, we've included some of Gary Ginevan's music, hippo music, at the front uh, of, uh, of the um, chapters. And so it's a delight to be able to be part of that. But to do it long-term, you really have to have a very short attention span and want to do lots of different things quickly because otherwise you won't survive. Um, so I think that I hope that I've conveyed that. I'm not really a workaholic. It's just that um, you need to do those things and also to look at how your family, if you have a family, how they work um, in with you and how their lives are enriched by the opportunities to meet um, people associated with whatever subject you're doing at the time. And so it's an enrichment as well. Yeah, and that's something that um, I've, you know, 
when you say the opportunities and that, I have to admit that I mentioned to a few people that I was interviewing you today and um, yeah, a lot of jaws dropping at that one. So that was good. always a, always a win. Um, no, I bet they said hippo, didn't they? I bet they said oh, hippo. They did. When I, had my, when I had my first meeting with Hazel, my yeah. six-year-old, my then six-year-old, I don't know, it was sometime in the afternoon when kids mm. get particularly antsy yeah. and came in and jumped up on my lap and I got to say, hey, Winnie, this is the lady who wrote the hippo books that you read at Omar's house. So that was very cool. Yes. <laughs> well, See. my grandson, I think he was asked by a new teacher, or well, something came up about, and somebody said, oh, you know, um, um, uh, has somebody or other's grandmother had written something or other. And Henry said, oh, yeah, my grandma writes books. Oh, that's nice, dear. Has she written anything? And he <laughs> said, yes, the hippopotamus, that's not your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas yeah. the other grandson managed to lose his copy at one stage. So, you know, uh, I, I think that is the enrichment, though, of mm. um, being able to blend um, the book life, the adventurous life and the family life together. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't always work. Some things stuff up at times. But, yeah. you know, there is a possibility. And I always write a story for each of my grandsons for um, each of the birthdays, except the oldest one's writing his own high fantasy. I okay. noticed you're interested in high fantasy. He's nearly finished his 120,000 word. I'll keep an eye out for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And on that note as well, you mentioned that um, you're a writer as well, Sarah. What do you write? Yeah. Uh, well, I had a literary fiction novella published last year. Um, but I do am current. Pardon? So do tell. What's it called? Give it's it a plug. Called, yeah, okay. It's called The Fault Lines Founding Liberty and it's the story of uh, a young woman who um, sort of finds herself in the midst of, this, you know, life swirling around her and, and happens upon an older woman who she strikes up a friendship with and through that friendship works through um, some of the bigger questions she has about life and, um, yeah, it's about moving on from old versions of ourselves. Um, so to that, I narrated it, so it's available on Audible. Um, but my main writing project at the moment is um, a PhD in philosophy. So uh, that's going to keep me going for a while. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it would. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just uh, found it on there. So we oh, may, cool. need to, uh, may need to have a read of that and see if we can get you back later for that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And I'll just get back to my questions here because I got distracted looking for new books. We've got a new bookshelf today. You, know, so. you were asking me earlier, Nathan, about yep. why doing it and so on. Mm. I think uh, I see the audio book as perhaps the most significant format in the near future. Yeah, Because it, it's the most versatile. Um, but I think from the creator's perspective, there is the issue that um, many authors and, and illustrators are very grateful for government payments uh, like PLR, public lending right, and educational lending right, which is recompense for multiple readers of books in libraries. But at the moment, there is nothing comparable for ebooks and audiobooks. And we're, I'm aware of that, but I still think, uh, I'm hoping that situation will change. But I think having a book in audio format is going to be one of the most important ones because it will be the most versatile and the easiest to be portable. Um, yeah. And I, I, I've made a considered decision that the ones I, I will 
hopefully be doing some more with Sarah. Um, Excellent. Uh, uh, but I'll pick them very carefully because they have to have uh, a broad application. But I think um, that we need to look at the ways in which stories are told. Storytellers will always have an important part in our society, but the Absolutely. format in which those stories are told are changing all the time. And... Um, uh, I see audioism and also with the link to um, multimedia of various kinds now too. So one feeds off the other. Yeah. And it's really interesting about how audio books are sort of, um, I suppose, come back into fashion is probably doing it not quite as much justice. It's, it's been a big thing in the last sort of mm. 10 to 15 years. But the last, like the first audio book, and for, for listeners, I'm doing that in quotation marks, um, was back in 1920. But before that, I mean, we started as a, you know, as a species, as cultures in that doing um, oral histories and, you know, um, stories, so we passed tradition. So audio books have, in some well, sense, been radio natural Radio serials one. and yeah. things. Uh, I think, oh, were you going to refer to the War of the Worlds one? Uh, well, I, think <laughs> I wasn't, the, but it is the, one of my favourites. <laughs> yeah, that there were a lot of radio serials. Mm. And I think now mm. um, some of the podcasts as you yeah. are doing now, uh, taking on that role too. But the slight difference between the podcast and the books is that you've got a structured story, whereas with the podcast you've probably got a conversation. But I would anticipate there are going to be a lot more experimental formats mm. podcasts. Yeah. Would you not think that with different I, I types so, of yeah. sound attached and so on, that that will become an art form in itself? Yeah, and there's a um, uh, a friend of mine who does um, narration of things like Edgar Allan Poe and mm. um, you know, Lovecraft and all that sort of thing, and, and that's part of what he does is sort of trying to get these older, you know, long dead um, storytellers and reinventing the feeling that was meant to go mm. with them and the emotion yes. and yeah. that sort of thing. And then there's um, I've only heard about this recently, so I'm going to apologise to anyone out there if I get this wrong. But uh, the idea of, I think it was called living histories, where you can, mm, yes. there's displays where they set up a per, like people in a row and you basically drag out a person and you get a story from them about their life or their family history and that sort of thing. And, again, that's all in that audio uh, mm. Anyway, I find it fascinating. You rent a person <laughs> instead of a book. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, yeah, well, again, they're just... There's still storytelling, but it's just using whatever means are available mm. in the time. And and, yeah. and for young children, I think there's going to be a lot more with puppetry too. Yeah. So, mm. you know, that's another interesting one. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so I, I guess that brings the, you know, the uh, or begs the next question of, you know, what is, is there anything that you're looking at next or like when you say you're bringing in, you're looking at other books to, to work with Sarah, have you got anything in mind that you're looking to, to bring out or are we still in that deciding phase? Um, yes. Um, well, hang on, let me find it. Um, the Weird Then Dead on the Gan, which mm. is um, a further story associated with the celebrant sleep, has already, uh, it was... Um, commissioned at one stage by the ABC but didn't get up because of circumstances, you know, what things are like during COVID times. But I, I think um, I'd look at 
at um, perhaps some of the uh, the young adult novels, the ones set in Antarctica is a possibility, mm. Antarctica's Frozen Chosen, uh, of a young scientist. And I utilise the background of the expedition that I was on to with the Australian Antarctic Division to Casey Station. And there's a, a, a sequel to that called Outback Ferals. Now, ironically, yeah. when I wrote Outback Ferals, um, it... Um, uh, uh, it had a pandemic, a threat of a pandemic. Well, it was well before the current, and yep. suddenly interest in outback ferals has soared enormously. Now, I do have to say that when I chose the title, I meant outback ferals to refer to outback feral pigs, and some people think it refers to the residents of Darwin, but it's the uh, it's the feral pigs, outback ferals. Good to know. <laughs> um, and so uh, something like that which is about 30,000 words, which is smaller. I mean, Sarah can do her sums on, on size and so it's smaller than that. But uh, in the past, I've written uh, younger, quirkier ones. I would think that um, Hijabi Girl would be the next one. Hijabi Girl is a series. There will be three in the series. Uh, I've co-written with Erske, who is a, a Muslim librarian, and that's just gone internationally to... Um, Middle Eastern book fair in um, the Arab Emirates at the moment. And that's the one that's going to be performed in um, Brisbane by Larrikin and Puppets. And oh, they've been ready for two years now. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, the um, uh, COVID has in interrupted that. But they would, they're much, much shorter. But I think, again, you've got a, a broad market for that. It's a multicultural group. Uh, the young girl in it, um, Melik, is a very feisty young woman. She starts the Aussie Rules football team. Um, now, when we started, there was no Aussie Rules girl yeah. football team, but life has caught up with us somewhat. Um, but I would think that that series, I have already recorded it for Vision Australia, um, and they're using it in their systems. Um, but um, uh, I think as a commercial operation, it's certainly viable. Um, and uh, so probably something along those lines. But um, one of the issues, um, Sarah has another client, Suzanne Chivet, another children's author, and uh, doing one of her projects. Now, we had a chat, and uh, technically the difference is in hers, she needs a second voice because she's got a significant... Um, Greek male character in her story. Now that's totally different from a story where you have a, a character who's basically a narrator and you can have the same voice all the way through. So I think the format of some books may affect how appropriate or how easily um, they can be recorded. But I think the system of what I really liked about Sarah's setup um, was uh, of offering audition tapes to get some ideas of the voices. I'd only ever done that once before, and it was with the Canadian company, and they're all Canadian voices, so it was a bit different. Um, yeah. When I asked for a neutral voice, um, and I, I thought that that setup was was excellent uh, to to give an idea of what was involved and the speed at which it could be turned around, as opposed to somebody like me lumbering through for months. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, surprised at how long it took when I was uh, trying to do some some voiceovers for a friend's novel. And then I realised yeah. three things. One, yeah. uh, if you heard the amount of times I need to do just the intro to this podcast, you'd understand that 
a long time for me. Two, all of the uh, characters in there, bar two, had Irish accents, which I am not <laughs> going to impersonate. And three, the protagonists were female, which, of course, my yeah. voice is not suitable for. <laughs> yeah. um, but, Sarah, that's something I wanted to ask you as well. Like mm-hmm. Looking at um, the the auditions and, and the, the narrators for these books, and not just a piece of cake, is... You know, obviously that's got one sort of style, um, mm. but then when you've got Tajabi Girl, you've got a different style and a different mm. background. Uh, yeah. Is that something where, you know, unlike maybe with with illustrators, how you might have the same illustrator for a series, you don't do it different styles where needed. Would you be looking at something almost sort of bespoke to the the novel, or how how does that yeah. work? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, when you're looking at a a a protagonist, or if you if you're narrating something in first person, for example, you want an actor, an appropriate actor, to portray that voice. I mean, that's a big thing in the in the acting world. But similarly, in the voice acting world, that's um, important to take into consideration, whether it's um, ethnicity or um, you know cultural background and that sort of thing. And and sometimes it can be quite hard to match those things, um, particularly I don't know in Australia with it well, a smallish pool of um, narrators. Um, so there does need to be a bit of creative flexibility, I think, in that. But um, certainly that's at the forefront of my mind when I'm kind of looking for an appropriate um, narrator for a particular text. Mm-hmm. Um, and we uh, at Voices of Today, we produce lots of, well, we've started producing more multicast performances as well. So we've got a network of people around the world Um so, you know, if there was an Australian author who wanted an American to be narrating their work, well, that's um, more than doable. Um, but it's nice to to bump up the Aussie representation on yeah. Audible, I think. And, um, you know, and and as Aussies, we've got as much right to be sharing the uh, classic texts, for example, in our accent as, uh, although, I, you know, okay, some people get angry if they they hear Jane Austen in an American or an Aussie <laughs> accent, I guess, but yeah. um, <laughs> and maybe fair enough, but, you know. It's all about hybridity these days. I like days, to think that's, a, that's a, a global, globally owned text these days, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's um, right, that's right. Um, but yeah. you mentioned there about, you know, the representation and getting Australian voices out there and that. Um, mm. I just wanted to ask this. It's, a bit of a, it's, it's been something that's playing on my mind and I want to make sure I ask it correctly in that. But, yeah. uh, Hazel, you mentioned in your uh, in your autobiography, in your memoir, there's a lot of talk about early on it was not the done thing for a woman to have a career and a family and there's a lot of these sorts of, you know, uh, I don't want to say old-fashioned ideas because it was literally decades ago, so it kind of makes sense. Well, I'm quite old, Nathan. I wasn't <laughs> going to say that. I'm sorry. Now I it's got okay. the author's <laughs> age at the front of a book and a dash, and if there's nothing after the dash, they're still alive. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But it was a common attitude. It yeah. was, um, and I was lucky in, the, well, well organised in that my husband and I had an agreement from the beginning that we would have two careers. That was not common at yeah. all. Um, and there was also, it, it is very difficult to make a living as a writer in Australia. So for some people in the 60s, 70s, um, for a woman to have a job was was uh, uh, groundbreaking but to actually um be writing or do something like that which was so risky and such a gamble and didn't have a financial return 
for quite some time. In, in most cases, it took about five years to, to crack it. Um, whereas I always had other jobs as well in the beginning. Um, it was seen that that was not appropriate. And it, uh, it was really quite difficult to do. But on the other hand, if you, um, a writer is eventually um, judged on what they write, not on their age, nor their gender, um, yeah. nor where they live these days. It's the quality of the writing and the marketing of that writing. And that is something I want to commend Sarah for. And one of the things that I was interested in, that she is very efficient at getting um, the finished audio book out into the international digital market. And I'm not good at that. <laughs> I find that <laughs> quite challenging. And we had that discussion early on. And I think that is a service that she does very well. And there are, are many... Um, others who might write a book that doesn't move anywhere because it's not marketed. And these days the digital marketing is so important. And so the large um, audio distributors and so on to know how to place a title in that um, market is, is a survival skill. And so she does that very, very well. And um, that was a consideration for me. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to to sort of lead lead into there, and um, because as, as you said, there's there's so many authors out there these days, and there are a lot more opportunities. It's still not perfect, and there's still unfortunately a lot of uh, you know expectations, but also there's a lot more opportunities from uh, um, shall we say from, from groups that have always been part of society or part of the world, but haven't necessarily had uh, had the voice or the representation. And part of that, uh, something that we spoke about a little bit earlier is the idea that um, where previously it was a little bit more tied to uh, the preferences of a of, of a few um, of say you know big polishers and like if something's a little bit more niche now there's just so many more opportunities to, to get that out there and as you said to uh, to distribute it across the um, across the digital market the international digital market there are many more hybrid. Yeah writers now um yeah. nathan because i mean i um penguins my major publisher yeah. but i have a number of other publishers and i have some that are so deliberately um self-published i say author published because of the subject matter being controversial or being ahead of its yeah. time in some cases, or it's for a niche market or all those sort of other variables. So when you say for a changed. So when you say for a controversial topic, is that just a matter of basically trying to own anything that comes out of that or, or what do you mean by? No, a controversial subject, um, trying to place hijabi girl originally mm. we had 41 rejections that's Ooh. about my record um, from predominantly traditional publishers yeah. and initially i also published it. the present version is by now an islamic publisher mr mm -hmm. alligator and it's going internationally into all the um, schools book clubs islamic schools book clubs internationally so that's completely different but um something like f2m which was about a trans, that was the first young adult novel about a trans character where one of the co-writers was trans yeah. from F to M. Um, so uh, uh, now the um, 
issue of cultural appropriation is the latest term. Um, I I don't actually agree with that. uh, By cultural appropriation is writing about cultures or backgrounds within which you have not grown yourself. Now, it seems to me for a long-term author, they can only write one autobiography and that's it, they're finished. So what you need is a professional author who researches and respects that other culture, whatever it may be, who maybe collaborates with somebody from that culture and it's a mutually acceptable story. And um, sometimes from a minor culture, that book wouldn't have got up in the first place unless it were linked with someone who was already a recognised author. So there's a, a lot of variables that come into it, but they're often the issues that are really important. What I'm finding is the last year or so, some things that were seen as either were put on the band shelf or um, just ignored because of the content suddenly have mm. become mainstream um and that's that's good but yeah. you know it's a pity it took so long um yeah I, and i've always been interested in characters coping successfully with being different in one way or another and i think that's a very strong story in any culture and i i think as long as you research properly that's why i've done a lot of participant observation research in the stories that i've written i go and do it in order to write accurately about it afterwards um, and move into other cultures Uh, for example our children went to a jewish school and we're not jewish Um, they went um i I have a muslim co-writer and i'm not muslim Um, but i respect all those cultures and have managed to write appropriately about them. I hope so, anyway. And yeah, I'm also not trans, and yeah. I've written about uh, trans guy. Yeah. I think you've, you've got it right there when you said it's all about respect and that research. And yeah, that respect sure and, and getting your facts right. Yeah. Um, and I think also one of the things in, in this particular book Uh, of mine and one of the reasons I put it out is there are not many that write over such a long period and Mm. if you write over such a long period you can't be writing the same sort of material unless you've got you know um, some kind of of genre fiction and mainly the mysteries work very well where you have a central character whom you move into different settings or um, different challenges you can you can get away with it then but otherwise you're going to need to have a very broad canvas to draw on and uh, I think um, it's uh, uh, you need to look at the quality of what's produced yeah and that's um I think what you're saying before is that in the end that's what's going to be judged is the quality of the work Mm. is you know in the ideal world that's what it'll be and hopefully we're uh, getting a little bit closer to that um but i'm just looking uh, at the time we should probably wrap up soon because i could talk uh, literally for hours just sitting here um in awe um uh, i promise i promise myself I wouldn't fan out too much i'm not here um but one of the questions that danny likes to ask at the end of every episode and i i always like to um to copy this one because i love the answers that come out of it uh, so i'll open this one to, to both of you here but um hazel first of all why do you write Mainly so I can um, understand or see things from different perspectives um, so that I can enter other people's worlds and come out 
with a bit more tolerance at the other end of the book or the end of the recording or whatever, uh, continue to learn, um, have a, a rich life in the sense of lots of experiences and basically not be bored. <laughs> There's so many questions I want to ask just from that answer. Um, Sarah. But, but yeah. yeah, Sarah, why, why is it that you write? What uh, brings you to the page? Because uh, I can't not write, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, I mean, writing, I think I was, oh, no, it's so cliche. I was going to say I was seven when I decided, but, you know, writing was what I was, you know, wanting to do. And then you go through high school and being a writer isn't on your official careers list, yeah. really, is it? I mean, yep, that's agree. not a real thing to do. Um, but uh, I've sort of come full circle again and, and found my way back to it through alternative routes, um, partly academia and uh, research and that sort of thing, and then sort of stumbling into audiobook uh, narration and production, um, which sort of is one of those unexpected life uh, things that happen serendipitously. Um, I think for me it's about finding a space for my own voice. You know, I think when I was young, when you're young, people don't always listen to you and um, you're not always taken seriously. And when you've got a piece of paper and a pen, you've got the time and space to think about what you really think about things and to express it and to express it in a way that you feel satisfied with. You know, you can look at it and say, yeah, that's that's what I think about this. This is who I am. Um, so, yeah, that's why I write, I think. That's a, a great answer. And um, I was going to say as well, it's the premise of a lot of YA, isn't it? That, you know, I'm young and no one listens to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when the world turns to now. Um, but, look, I, I do want to thank you both very much for um, for joining uh, joining me here. Uh, like I said, there's so many more questions that I'd, I'd want to particularly just on those two answers dive into. Um, Sarah, I will chat to you later about uh, hopefully getting you back for your book as well um, so we can do a focus one on yourself. Hazel, uh, thank you very much. Um, you know, this is, like I said, one of my one of my childhood favourite books. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I've been really lucky with this podcast so far. Um, I, I keep, like, the, there's a little bit behind the curtain stuff. Um, Danny gets a lot of stuff that she sort of um, passes out to me and says, hey, look, is this something that you would want to do? And she's given me some really, really top assignments recently. So uh, big thanks to Danny B for that one who runs the uh, the Words and Nerds uh, universe yeah. as it is becoming now. Um, but we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, uh, I can recommend everyone listen to, um, sorry, not just a piece of cake. Uh, I nearly said a piece of cake again there. It's not a piece of cake. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a hard <laughs> book to put a title on, I tell you. I can imagine. <laughs> it was a hard book to title yeah. that one. <laughs> But look, I found it fascinating. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for doing that. And Sarah, I will get to reading yours uh, shortly and let you know how we go. Excellent. Thanks for having us. Right. See you. <laughs> but also thank you to everyone who's tuned in and downloaded. Do we really tune in anymore? I don't know. Maybe I'm starting to feel old as well. But uh, look, anyway, thank you to everyone who's who's listened to an episode of The Regular over the past few months. Uh, I really appreciate it. And if this is your first time, first of all, welcome. And you can find episodes of The Regular at www.wordsandnerds.com. That's all spelt out, no ampersands there. Or at nathanjphillipswrites.com. Thanks.